Hi, everyone. Welcome to Learn a Little, Learn a Lot, the education podcast series where we will examine the American education system through the lens of our interviewees who are educators and activists. My name is Angie Rascalvo. And I'm Sabrina Iveas. And this is episode two, where we will be chatting with special guest Rina Madani, founder of the nonprofit Start Lighthouse. We'll be right back. Rina started her career as a 10th grade ELA teacher in the South Bronx. She received her master's from the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education in the Teaching, Learning, and Leadership Program. And currently, she is the executive director and co-founder of Start Lighthouse, a nonprofit organization that focuses on building childhood literacy in the South Bronx. Rina and her team create customized literacy toolkits so students can build their own book collection at home. Start Lighthouse also has their own racial justice literacy curriculum called Woke Activist, which uses multicultural literature. Start Lighthouse has also built partnerships with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and publishing houses like Scholastic and Mascot Book. Additionally, Rena was named the Mover and Shaker of the Year, which recognizes a literary revolutionary in the Bronx. And in August, she was named New Yorker of the Week. So welcome, Rena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. So after hearing about all your wonderful work you've been doing, particularly with Start Lighthouse, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about why you initially wanted to create Start Lighthouse and what was that process like for you? Tell us a bit more about why you initially wanted to create Start Lighthouse and what was that process like for you? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I mean, Start Lighthouse was really just born out of the respective experiences that I had as a classroom teacher in the South Bronx. As you heard earlier, I started my teaching career as a 10th grade English teacher, and immediately I noticed that many of my students were still reading at a fourth and fifth grade reading level. And ultimately, it forced me to spend more time learning into just early literacy intervention and what types of interventions do we need to put in place to help students become proficient readers. And then even when I transitioned into elementary education, I still noticed that this problem was just pervasive across all grade levels. And that ultimately led me to conclude that the biggest barrier to literacy in a community like the South Bronx was access to books. And so during the height of the pandemic, I was getting a lot of calls from my former students, their families, just asking for additional resources, programming, especially during a time of just widespread school and library closures. And I realized that I had to answer that call. I mean, it was bigger. This problem was bigger than me. And I had to put aside just my own ego and just that fear of failure that always held me back from pursuing my ideas and just get going. And so we started really small. I mean, I just had a goal of just collecting 500 brand new culturally responsive books to really be able to help build out their home libraries during this time. And now we've collected over 8,000 brand new culturally responsive books. But Really, our organization started by talking to people within the community that were affected and really centering students and families in the work that we were doing. I really love hearing about how it came from a personal journey and being an educator. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and also one of the things you mentioned was access to books. So when we were looking at Start Lighthouse's website, we noticed one of your goals is to end book deserts. So can you explain to the listeners what a book desert is and how this affects a community? Yeah, absolutely. So a book desert is a community where high quality print material and children's books are really difficult to come by. Even in the Bronx, we had a Barnes and Nobles, which <laughs> closed several years ago. And now we have a bookstore called the Lip Bar, which is wonderful. But that being said, it's still really difficult to come by, especially when we think about literature in general. And so the reality remains that in a community like the Bronx, that there's only one age-appropriate book available for 300 children, as opposed to 13 books in the homes of their more affluent peers. And we also have to be cognizant of the fact that the Bronx is one of the poorest congressional districts in the entire country. So 58% of residents there are rent burdened, and 29% live in poverty. So therefore, books are perceived to be luxury items. And so as an organization, by building home libraries, we're addressing that lack of access. Obviously, you're super busy with all the hard work Start Lighthouse is doing, especially with like trying to end book deserts and just doing the best to gather so many materials. But can you tell us what your favorite part about being the executive director of Start Lighthouse is? Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, I love that question. I mean, for me, I just feel like it's such a blessing to be doing this work in the community. I think every part of my life, especially my early 20s, has led me to this very moment in time. Mm -hmm. And I just feel so lucky to be able to say that. I wake up every morning excited to just jump in. And I think for me, my favorite part is just the fact that we are such an early stage organization. So I'm really involved in every aspect of the organization when we were seeing fundraising, but then I'm also involved in programming just as much. But for me, I love running our programming because it gives me an opportunity to interact with our students, families, um, administrators, teachers. And from there, I've just been able to really immerse myself into the school community. And it's just so nice where like, I'll go into a school just visiting just to see how our programming is doing and like students will just be like pointing to me and they'll be like there's the book lady and I'm like yes I will respond to that <laughs> um because I mean at that point it's like they have that direct affiliation with like me and literacy and I mean what more could I ask for so I, I guess that's my favorite part it's just those direct interactions um for me there's just one day where we were running this three-day literary fair at a middle school in the community and we were finishing up we were cleaning up and one of the students she came back just to talk to me and she told me how she just felt so inspired by the opportunity to build out her own home library and to interact with mahogany brown who is a local poet activist writer and she said that she actually went back to her classroom to bring some of the poetry that she's written and to like actually show Mahogany that. And then she would just ask me, you know, when are you coming back again? And when are we going to have this experience? Because this is the first time where we've had anything like this in my school or the opportunity to even be able to pick out three 
brand new books that's just unheard of and even the fact that they like come close to me and they're like wait we gotta get three books like it's just they they're still like processing that so I think those interactions I think it really just speaks volumes to the importance of our work and that's really what keeps me grounded and keeps me going I think that's like super wonderful especially thinking about like younger students who are Mm -hmm. having these like realizations and being like oh is this all for me like I get these books and able to be part of that and seeing just seeing how like just books or something is putting like a smile on these kids face I can definitely see how that like is like such a one of like your favorite parts for sure Mm -hmm. yeah just the centering of joy and also your passion and enthusiasm is just so infectious I love that (laughs) thank you (laughs) Um, Yeah, so now for our independent study, one of the things Anji and I have been doing is talking about the American education system and reflecting on our own experience. So we were wondering, what was your experience in the American education system and how did it influence you? Yeah, I mean, I think I always go back to this, um, even just when I'm doing my own introspection. I mean, I'm a first generation college student, so this experience just hasn't been easy. My parents immigrated to the States from India in the 80s, so they just didn't have much context about this education system. I mean, they were just trying to really just make it and like realize their American dreams. So for me, I always felt like I was just constantly navigating just these unknown waters, and I didn't know I was supposed to be advocating for myself. Like I would see some of my peers being able to do that, but that was also something that they were taught within their own home environments, within their own communities. And I felt like I just didn't have that exposure. And I think for me, it just made me realize that our education system was just never designed for people of color, people that look like me, and that there are often like systemic barriers that really do Um, prevent us from succeeding and that's really what ultimately led me into the classroom and I wanted to be able to navigate this space and think about how can I make it inclusive how can I make sure that no child is ultimately left behind and that's really what's grounded me in terms of the work that I've done but ultimately even as a teacher your scope is limited because you're going up against administration, just the bureaucracy of our system. And so that's why for me, it just never felt like enough. And with Star Lighthouse, I feel like, okay, I have an entry point to addressing some of these barriers that do hold some students back. And as you mentioned, like being first generation, all these things, I think as an educator, having that background, also like thinking about your own um, education experience, I think it definitely does make a difference and kind of speaks to the fact that like, we really do need educators who also understand like students of color, who understand like the books that they need and just like the the experience of being first generation. So thank you for like mentioning all those things. I think those are like super important things that we have to keep in mind all the time when thinking about education. Yeah, and I feel like we need to be having more conversations about teacher education, because if you think about just how many white women are employed in low-income communities, and they just don't have any grounding in terms of who they're serving and how they can best support their Black and brown children, and I think it's just something that's highly problematic, but we just don't talk about it enough. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree, especially thinking about like the area that you serve, like the South Bronx. Like I know growing up in the South Bronx, I also mm-hmm. experienced like having a lot of teachers who maybe always like didn't understand like just the the population of the South Bronx and didn't understand like the books that we needed to read and all these things. So I definitely think it's always important to keep that in mind. And one of the things like we mentioned earlier when reading your bio was how you were a 10th grade ELA teacher in the South Bronx. So could you tell us a bit about what your experience working in this like, educational environment was like prior to start Lighthouse? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, something that I was just constantly noticing was just the fact that students were placed in a certain grade, but they still lacked access to fundamental skills and services that they needed in order to truly be successful. And then oftentimes, schools just continue to funnel students along through the system just so that they don't lose certain amounts of funding, or it just doesn't reflect poorly in terms of their annual report and how they're evaluated as a school and as an administration. And I always thought that was just highly problematic. And then something that I also noticed that was just a pain point was just how schools failed to involve the students, families, and caregivers and really try to invest them in their children's education. And I often felt like there was just that disconnect that would take place. And I remember during my first year teaching, I had a call with a parent and she was just so shocked that I was calling to deliver positive news about her child because she was so used to just getting calls when it was just, oh, your child's been disruptive or your child hasn't turned in X or Y like assignment. Um, And so she was just taken aback by the fact that I was calling just to say like, oh, your child was so on it today. Like he finished this. He came in during lunch to work with me. He stayed after school and she was just, who are you again? And why are you calling? Um, And I think there needs to be more of that parental investment. And I think that's also what's informed our work at Start Lighthouse, where we're taking a three-prong approach where we have our students' home libraries, we're building inclusive learning spaces inside the school, but then we're also providing coaching and training to family members and caregivers that are involved because it's not enough just to give them the resources, but you need to also show them how they can implement it and incorporate it into their everyday lives and to be able to really help cultivate that literacy culture at home. So those are a few things that I noticed. And I think I think back to just like the pain points that I had as an educator, but then also the stories that were shared to me from like my students and their families um, And that's really what continues to center the work that we do. Yeah, I really love how that influences what you're doing with Start Lighthouse and seeing how it creates a much more holistic approach because it's really necessary. Um, It's not just about the resources, as you said. And thinking more about the American education system, what would you say should be the goal of the system? And does this differ from how schools are currently being run? Yeah, I think the goal should ultimately be to cultivate the next generation of change makers and world leaders. And I think the problem here is that we put such an emphasis on rote learning and standardization, memorization, and I can speak to that just from my own experiences in the classroom. 
and the goal ultimately should be to foster students critical thinking and creativity and I think that's often just missing from the classroom uh, when I was a second grade teacher in the South Bronx my students were taught to just analyze a text but then only be able to say that there was one central message that the author was trying to deliver which we know is not the case and especially having gone to higher ed like now I know that there's like eight different interpretations that could exist within a text, but we're always teaching them like there's only one right answer. And then oftentimes my students would internalize themselves as a number or a reading level. And like they would say, oh, I'm just, I'm a level L. So that means that I can only read level L books. Like they wouldn't even try to challenge themselves to think that, oh, you know what, maybe I can like read a different text or higher level text because they just internalize themselves as these numbers or letters, which are just meaningless. But that's also just the education system that we're in that ultimately believes in that one size fits all approach. And with that, we're ultimately leaving students behind because even when I was teaching, I was taught to focus on the students that were higher level and not to focus on the students that just wouldn't make it according to administration. And so it was just perceived as like, okay, well, those students, if they're just not going to make it, then they'll just be left behind and maybe they'll have to be promotion endowed and repeat the next grade again. And I just think that's a poor way of just approaching our education system, because then when we think about who's ultimately left behind, it's black and brown children. And that's the reality of it. No, we definitely agree. I think Sabrina and I also have similar experiences, like growing up in the education system and how like mm -hmm. everything that's emphasized is basically memorization and a lot of just like having to take standardized tests and all these things, which like we know isn't really a measure of intelligence or anything that like students are learning. And especially like in class when we talk about Common Core or like the No Child Left Behind Act and all these things. And we realize that like students really are putting so much emphasis on grades. So even once they get to like college or something, all they're thinking about is just like, OK, am I like passing the class? Am I going to get a good grade? But at the end of the day, it's like, but are you really learning? And a lot of times it's not like we're really not thinking about like, what are we learning and all these things. So it's really hard to like get away from that mindset. And so like a follow up question to that is, so what do you see is the relationship between education and liberation? Yeah, I think for me, they both kind of go hand in hand, right? You can't have one without the other. But I think in order for you to truly be liberated is that you understand the different social structures that do exist in society and you know how they ultimately oppress you and then you're ultimately going to change them and I think that's the correlation it's just that you have that understanding but then you're able to actually take it and turn it into action and I think really we need an overhaul of our education system <laughs> I mean I think about it in the context of Start Lighthouse and right now we're just working to decolonize our system but ultimately we need to dismantle it and rebuild because there's just way too many systemic barriers that prohibit us from being equitable and there's just so much work that needs to be done but I think we need to start somewhere because if we don't then we're never going to be able to get to that point of dismantling but 
I think we have to like chip away at it slowly. And so that, that's what we've been trying to do as an organization. And I think what's interesting about what you said, one of the texts we read was, um, we want to do more than survive by Bettina Love. And oh, yeah. things, it's such a great, such a yeah. great book. But one of the things that she talks about is the importance of kind of theory as a tool, um, such as critical race theory. And we kind of see the reaction to what that's become in the current day. Um, but like you said, it's important to understand structurally how societies work in order to be able to um, bring it down and then structure it the way that it needs to be structured. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And just bringing it back to Start Lighthouse, how would you say your organization is preparing young students to fight for the educational changes that they want to see? Yeah, I think it really comes down to the racial justice literacy program that we've created. So Woke Activists, which was actually launched um, immediately after the murder of George Floyd, where students and families were just reaching out to me, asking how do they talk about race at home? And how do they actually talk about what's happening on the streets and what's happening on television? Because, or even just how these experiences are just so common, especially within their own families. And it made me think just back to how, even as a teacher, the curriculum that I was often teaching was always from a white cis male perspective. And it's always from the perspective of the colonizers. And so that that just got me thinking. It was like a combination of things. And so we ultimately launched our racial justice literacy program that summer. And we launched it for 12 students in the community and I just wanted to see how it would work and how were students as young as five and six grappling with concepts like race, racism, identity, social justice. And I mean, this initial pilot just surpassed my expectations because it made me realize that first students are never too young to be having these conversations and that they're so self-aware about what they look like and what others look like around them. And then ultimately that leads to conversations around whose perspective matters. And we need to be able to create spaces that do uplift them and center them. And through this program that we've designed, students have become so self-aware of who they are as individuals, what it looks like to stand up against injustice, but then also how do I apply these understandings to my own community. And something that's been so beautiful about our racial justice literacy program is that students that have participated are now thinking about how they can apply these learnings to the entire school community. And so now they've started going into respective classrooms across the school and auditing the libraries to see how inclusive these libraries are and what types of books need to be included. And then ultimately they're planning to do a presentation to the principal and the district superintendent and getting funding so that they can actually make these changes within their school. And I think even just to see how they're taking everything that they learned and all the books that they were able to encounter and taking that a step forward and saying, okay, well, I want this to be accessible to every child 
in this building, but also to leave a legacy behind. So even that when these students leave the school and go on to another school, these libraries do exist. And that notion of multicultural literature is just embedded within every classroom. And so it's been wonderful to see how that application has taken place and that there is that direct transfer. And so that's how we're measuring success, right? Stories like that. Our students aren't taking a test after they're completing the racial justice literacy program, but they're thinking more intentionally about what does an application look like in terms of how do I take what I learned and apply it to my school community? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's all like super amazing. And especially thinking about how the curriculum, like woke activists can even like inspire students to do something like that. And I think a lot of times in the education system, we're kind of taught that like students are too young, they don't understand race, they don't understand all these things, especially when thinking about like critical race theory, and knowing how like people like the argument against it is like students don't need to learn that like they won't understand that. But at the same time, it's like, like, like using that as an example, and just seeing that like students even as like super young, like five or a little bit older, like they're able to use what they learn in like the woke activist curriculum and being able to apply that to their schools and asking for funding to change like the makeup of like the, the libraries. I think that's such amazing work. And if we continue to do things like that, then hopefully we would continue to inspire so many younger kids who are just trying to see a difference in their education system and make it what they want it to be. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that like Start Lighthouse is doing. And especially as like a Bronx native myself, like I definitely appreciate the work that's been done with like Start Lighthouse and the students in the community, because even when I think about myself growing up, like this is something that I would have loved to see and even participate in, because I know growing up, I definitely wanted to read so many books. And by that time, it was like, well, I already read most of the books in the library, so I didn't really have anything else to do after that. And I think it definitely would have made a difference. And our next question is, can you tell us what's next for you at Start Lighthouse and how can our listeners continue to follow your organization's journey? Oh, <laughs> I love this question. I mean, for us, next year, we're planning on expanding our programming to five more schools within the Bronx, which is incredibly exciting, but also equally daunting. But we're always up for a challenge. And we've recently launched a new iteration of our programming, which is called these literary adventures, which are these essentially week-long immersive experiences where students participate in interactive workshops alongside local authors and illustrators. And then they also embark on that shopping experience where they're able to self-select brand new books for their home libraries. So essentially this experience is going to be reoccurring across our school sites. So that's also going to be equally exciting. But that's to say that our organization is growing, but we're always looking for individuals to get involved. So if you are interested in volunteering your time in a particular capacity, um, you're more than welcome to go to www.startlighthouse.org and learn more about the various volunteer opportunities that are involved with our organization. It sounds like Start Lighthouse has some really big plans yes. coming up. Very <laughs> exciting. Um, and Rena, this has been such a pleasure to speak with you. We're so grateful for the work that you're doing. And we just can't thank you enough for being a guest on our podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so just thank you.
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a great conversation. And I'm just so grateful to even just have this opportunity to share more about our story and the work that we're doing in the Bronx uh, with your listeners.